Hey there, all you ghouls and goblins. Radio 85.9 proudly presents Horror Zoid with your hosts, Stevie Scares and Natalie Nightmare, talking all things horror from the 80s, 90s, and today. Today's episode is brought to you by Wolfman Chest Wax. Go from the toughest fur to the smoothest skin with Wolfman Chest Wax. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Horrorzoid. I'm Stevie Scares. And I'm Natalie Nightmare. And today it is about one of our favorite subjects. Ow! Werewolves. 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 Hell yeah, werewolves. Yeah, we're talking werewolf movies today. We already paid tribute to vampires mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. ghosts and even slow burn movies. But we wanted kind of to go back. We, we we kind of wanted to go back, if I can speak mm, English today. Good job. You're starting <laughs> Kind of wanted to go back and talk about uh, some more creatures, some more <laughs> entities that we like, and it's werewolves. Yes. I think people liked the vampire episode. Just a bit. Just a bit. Everyone wanted to be in the vampire nightclub. So let's dive into werewolves, starting yes. with... The, the icon. Yes, the original uh, werewolf movie, The Wolfman, from uh, the uh, the 40s, uh, universal, uh, classic universal monster movie starring Lon Chaney Jr., who had the opportunity to follow in his father's footsteps. Uh, great Lon Chaney Sr., who portrayed the Phantom and the Phantom of the Opera, Quasimodo and Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And then we had Lon Chaney Jr., who just created one of the most iconic characters in all of cinema the original wolfman yes uh, i think everybody knows the wolfman at this point uh obviously he like dracula brought many 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 others after him of course yeah the wolfman uh, and of course there were sequels mm-hmm. um that featured various other characters and interactions werewolf and the wolf man meets dracula daughter of wolfman uh, Abbott and Costello meet the Wolf Man. Oh, yeah. yeah, there were all sorts of little sequels. Universal really got their money out of that property. Mm-hmm. Um, while we're on the subject of the Universal Wolf Man, uh, again, it kind of spawned every other werewolf feature that we would see in the in the future. Mm-hmm. But the the ones that I think many people remember, of course, Lon Chaney Jr. and then of course Universal tried to recapture that magic in the '90s when it was rebooting a lot of the classic monsters, and we got mm-hmm. the film wolf with jack nicholson and michelle pfeiffer in which yeah. we really don't see any werewolf action till the very end jack yep. nicholson comes jack nicholson turns into wolf at the very end of the movie and we barely get any wolfy goodness yeah it's i remember the movie but i don't remember the movie right well I, it was, I don't think i've seen it in a long time too though so uh but i i do remember that part yeah it's and it's it was universal's failed attempt in the 90s to kind of take advantage of some of those properties the universal monster movies that's when we got this movie and we unfortunately got the mary shelley's frankenstein with robert de niro yeah. and helena helena bonham carter i love that movie. it was it was okay it wasn't was all it could have been there but it was, was something special about that movie to me you know and then we of course we had mary riley which mm-hmm. tried to capitalize on dr jekyll and mr hyde which john malkovich as jekyll and hyde is pretty impressive uh, but that, of course, the greatest out of all of them gave us uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. Uh, the Francis Ford Coppola. We talked about it on the vampire episode. So mm-hmm. Universal really tried to recapture that magic in the 90s, which gave us Wolf. 
And then again in 2010, we got a straight up wolf, the Wolfman, starring Benicio del Toro and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, uh, another one I haven't seen probably since it came out. Right. Honestly, uh, I don't really remember how much I enjoyed it, but I think there's something interesting with Wolfman. Um, as you know, you look at Dracula and how much you can change Dracula, and just kind of build on what he has. Wolfman is kind of like, it really just limits you to one type of Wolfman, to be real. Yes. And I think it kind of, it limits itself because they want to keep it true to the iconic Wolfman. But then you you start to branch out and you get these more uh, typically vicious beasts, you know, that, that transform. And I like that you have all of those different ones. But I think Wolfman is kind of, you know, they've been trying to do all of these movies again you know, with the mummy and things like that and Invisible Man, although that one was brilliant. I would kind of worry about them trying to do a Wolfman now. Like, I I would like to see somebody try, but I kind of worry about how they would do it. Well, it's funny you say that because the, at least what's on the horizon is it seems like Ryan Gosling has really been trying to get the next Wolfman movie made with Universal. I take back my prior statement. Right. <laughs> well, and it's <laughs> Ryan Gosling and it, from what it sounds like if the rumors are true, he's supposed to have a lot of cre- a lot of control over the film like he'll get to pick the director. I think he may have already even done that. Um, but again, it's still very much in the early stages, so it'll probably be a while before we see a true f- true follow-up to the Wolfman. Right. But from the what I remember about the 2010 movie because I'm I'm with you I haven't seen it really since it came out, yeah. uh, but I remember it being heavy on the special effects. Now, not yeah. quite to the level of 2004, 2005's Van Helsing movie, which was just all CGI, but yeah. it was. It was. I remember it being very heavy on the CG, and not and it not being very good, and mm-hmm. the tone was very dark. It was like it, honestly, it reminded me of the last few Harry Potter movies, where it was just <laughs> right. black and gray, and while that might work, it wasn't. It. it I don't know. It didn't have the charm of like when Tim Burton does that, when the Harry Potter movies did that. I feel like that. that's more of a mood for a vampire movie. And that might just be me, but I feel like, you know, that you look at some of the Dracula movies and other vampire movies, and they do have that kind of dreariness to them. Yeah. This just kind of almost took it too a, far. Yeah. I, I do kind of remember that with the, the CGI. Now yeah. That heavy CGI. A lot yeah. of, you know, we talked about it in the last episode with the ring, how it had that blue aesthetic, mm-hmm. you know, to make it look mm-hmm. like Seattle. I don't know what this was supposed to make it look like, but it was just very, it was like, it was almost too, like visually too dark. Yeah. And I think it could have benefited from, you know, just, I don't know, enhancing a little bit. It was just, yeah, I don't know. There was something that wasn't aesthetically pleasing about that movie. Right. And, you know, in last, last episode uh, from last week, we talked about uh, the CGI that we got from a lot of ghost movies. Um, And I feel like that, you know, whenever you're dealing with a creature, you know, I know obviously back in the day things were different with CGI. We've come a long way with how things are done and the way we have motion capture, you know, was a huge yep. thing when it started. Um, but I feel like there's so many movies that just use it when it would almost be easier to just do practical. Right. And the movies that have done it practical, and we're going to talk about quite a few of those today, the mm-hmm. movies ha- that have done it practical have taken that risk, it's really paid off. Right. Even when they don't have full budgets available to them, which we've seen with, again, some of these other ones that we'll get to here in the future. But, mm-hmm. you know, the um, 
I just wanted to touch on real quick the kind of the the history and the folklore surrounding werewolves. Hell yeah, let's um, go. Started in you know medieval times, of course, when um, they they would see these large beasts in the moors, and there's still legends about them. One of my favorites is the Black Beast of Exmoor out in England. Mm-hmm. Um, but these they would see these large beasts, and they would exaggerate the size of these creatures, these dogs, these wild dogs that they would see out on the countryside. They're kind of like an OG cryptid. <laughs> right, it was. But they weren't really cryptids as right. much as they were just people exaggerating the sizes of these yeah. dogs, saying they were man-sized. Right. And then, of course, the folklore just simply grew from there mm-hmm. and it became the legend of men who turned into wolves and you know by you know by day and and you know, men who they were men by day and wolves by night mm-hmm. and that was the where kind of these legends started and then from there we got a lot of really cool stories passed yeah. down over generations it was all these oral stories that were passed down to future generations of beasts these wolves that were the size of men and created the folklore that we know today and then ultimately led to these movies right i think that's great and there's it's kind of one of those creatures as well that uh it has different origins depending on what part of the world uh you look at um you know their own their own stories Mm -hmm. um and different types of werewolves that we get and different names and i love that and i think that's something that's really cool i feel like it you have many types of werewolves as opposed to our counterpart. You know, everyone wants to talk vampires versus werewolves. And, you know, vampires obviously have been given a lot of different types. But I really like seeing, you know, the way werewolves have evolved mm-hmm. over the years in, in movies. You know, you have these, one of my favorites, these huge, tall, standing up on two legs werewolves like in Dog Soldiers. But then you have these, like, short, kind of smaller, you know, running on all fours, kind of crazy and beastly. And I just, I don't know. There's something about werewolves that I'm just super excited to talk about because there are so many different types of them. Right, and there's no wrong way to do werewolves. It's, it, you know, we've seen a bunch of different filmmakers mm-hmm. try to attempt to do right different things with them, different TV series and uh you know, while we're on the subject, you brought up Dog Soldiers. Mm-hmm. I figure that's the next best one to talk about. I dog Soldiers. love this movie. Yeah, Dog Soldiers, I was not familiar with. You introduced me to Dog Soldiers, mm-hmm. but I love Neil Marshall. You know, right. he did some of my favorite movies, did The Descent, mm-hmm. uh, Doomsday, and of course the, you know, Hellboy, the mm-hmm. 2019 Hellboy. But yeah. his his one of his first big movies was Dog Soldiers, yeah. which was a... It's a werewolf movie, mm-hmm. and it's but it's such a unique and different take on a werewolf movie. Mm-hmm. You know, when we mention his other films like The Descent and Doomsday, like thinking about the the tone and the atmosphere and just how those movies feel very gritty and grimy, and Dog yeah. Soldiers feels that way too. It almost mm-hmm. feels like oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have the these military. Uh, training exercises so you've already got these men who are kind of roughing it out in the wild um, you know and they start to have encounters with a beast and it goes from zero to 100 really fast fuck yeah it does (laughs) i mean um just gonna say duct taping your guts back in um, I fucking love the guy who <laughs> is just bleeding out and has just his organs are spilling out of him but like, he keeps going keeps the going. whole fucking movie he Goes longer than what you ever fucking think. Like I just kept thinking to myself, this he's gotta die now. No, no, no they just keep finding going. ways to keep this fucking guy alive. Yeah, 
it's it's terrific and uh you get uh you do like you said you get some of the best really practical effects for oh, the werewolves yeah what what there's what, no yeah. cg in that movie no well no 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 neil, neil marshall creates a very organic looking organic feeling creature the way mm-hmm. he designs the werewolves in this film which is beautiful because if you mm-hmm. look up um you know the the costume design for them uh it's basically people standing on kind of like these platform style shoes to give them the kind of dog jointed legs and then whatever kind of bodysuit prosthetic pieces that they have and then this giant head so they just appear so almost fucking massive un- yeah, yeah i mean that scene when the one stands up in the bedroom is just looming over them is iconic I'm and a, they're yeah. so fucking scary looking yeah i'm a little pissed off because i remember when we watched it we watched it on blu-ray at home yeah and the menu just is that shot of it standing in the bedroom yeah. i'm like i'm like you dicks that would have been so good to see <laughs> like just come up like not knowing it's gonna come up but that right. shot Thankfully, though, it's like that shot on the Blu-ray menu or whatever. Yeah, that's still It's so crystal fucking clear that you're right. like, how is that thing so damn big? Right, yeah. And the, and the still of it doesn't do it any justice. It does it. You have it. to see it in action. And knowing it is people with basically platforms and prosthetics running around. And the the fact that you kind of... It keeps that traditional like wolf face, but such a yeah. humanoid, got muscular snout, body. Yeah. It is such an awesome movie. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it uh, creates. It adds to the werewolf lore and culture, and and, mm-hmm. it, and it, it doesn't try to reinvent the wheel necessarily, but it does tread new ground. Yeah, and I, I think you know the story just between the men, um, along with the people that they meet along the way. I mean, the movie isn't just a typical werewolf movie. I think it gives you a lot more um, to it, and it's it makes you appreciate the characters a lot more as you go along. It does. Yeah. Cause it's not just a werewolf movie. It's this really great story of camaraderie mm-hmm. and almost brotherhood with the, the military guys right. that are in the film and this, uh, this woman that they meet that kind of saves them and brings mm-hmm. them to safety. Yeah. And it just takes all these really interesting twists and turns along mm-hmm. the way. And, uh, again, one of the things that I love, uh, that Neil Marshall does in this movie that he also does in, uh, the descent and other movies that he's done is he creates that sense of dread and terror and he puts the the main characters in such a dangerous position that it you, it, you almost wonder to yourself you think every time like how could they possibly get out of this and, and right. y- yet they find ways to get out of it because mm-hmm. i mean just their initial encounter you're yep. like how the fuck how, did any of yeah them how will they survive right you know because there's there's obviously they you know it's no spoiler they find some of their men like slaughtered you know um, but it's the fact that these guys, you know, work together almost like they're in an active mission at this point. And right. It's almost like they, they it like the exercise in. never stops. Right. And yeah. it just keeps going and it, it kind of, it, it goes from a drill to not a drill and it just goes until the brutal end. It's an awesome movie. You need to see it. Yeah. It, dog soldiers. You know, I'm glad you introduced me to that one because mm-hmm. it's, it has since become one of my absolute favorite werewolf movies. Yeah. Um, some other ones that we have to mention here. Uh, one I haven't seen in forever uh, that I think we just need to touch upon because of its transformation scene is The Howling. Yeah, yeah. It's the probably howling, been I, like 15 years since I've seen any of those. And I remember some of the weird-ass sequels. Yeah. Um, I know D. Wallace. 
Yeah. Classic, you know, it's a classic. Dee yeah. Wallace gives one of her best performances in it. She is an absolute scream queen. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we didn't mention her in our scream queen episode, shame on us. But <laughs> Dee Wallace, uh, I do remember her performance stood out to me in that movie. And that's something yeah. that I still remember along with that transformation scene. Right. You get the, you know, I think that they, they just, there was a, I can't even get it out. There was a set of movies that, I feel like they really just wanted to focus on that transformation. Because, you know, American Werewolf in London, iconic, has a super long transformation scene. And The Howling is kind of a close second, you well, know? Yeah, and it's it's funny. you Yeah, you mentioned American, American Werewolf in London because the... Uh, um, I'm, ter- I'm terrible with the names right now. But basically, mm-hmm. uh, originally... Uh, Joe Dante, director of The Howling, was, uh, I believe it was Rick Baker, I could be wrong about that, that he wanted to work on The Howling. Mm-hmm. Well, then Rick Baker got the job for doing American Werewolf in London because these movies wild. came out at the same time. So yeah. Rick Baker gave his his uh, his apprentice at the time the job for The Howling, and he took mm-hmm. American Werewolf in London. Wow. And it's so funny that they both, that we have all these ties together, mm-hmm. that John Landis takes... Rick Baker, I believe it was, and takes him and has him do American Werewolf in London. Meanwhile, Joe Dante takes Rick Baker's assistant. It, like I said, like they were balling on a budget yeah. with that werewolf transformation. You could tell they didn't have near as much money as American Werewolf in London, but they still mm-hmm. did this beautiful job with the transformation scene. Yeah, I mean, the the practical effects that they put into it, I always remember the kind of like buggy-eyed face while his face is kind of warping. Yeah. And, you know, the, the wolves and the howling have a really cool look. I love their like huge pointy ears, kind of like how dog soldiers are. It's like they're almost too big. Yeah. Um, but there's something about them that look really cool and it still has a kick-ass transformation scene. It's on- honestly one that we need to come back and watch. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely yeah, we'll we'll have to watch it again and some of the shittier sequels. <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, the next one I think we have to talk about is one we've mentioned just now, mm-hmm. American Werewolf in London. Yes. To me, it is probably the quintessential werewolf movie. Sure. I mean, you know, we we kind of talked about uh, last week being able to you know, rank on a micro level. And I feel like if someone, anyone that wants to rank, they always have American Werewolf in London, either first or second or third. Right. Their, it's it's their always, it's always top three. Nobody. Yeah. yeah. Everybody appreciates what they accomplish with that movie. Yeah. Even if John Landis is a giant piece of shit. hundred uh, percent. But yeah, American Werewolf in London comes out in 1981. It has, uh, again, John Landis, world famous director, um, did comedies, uh, like Animal House before he transitioned into doing this, and of course the infamous Twilight Zone incident. Mm-hmm. Um, not won't get into it. Google it if you want to know what we're talking about. Twilight Zone incident, you'll see. Horrible, horrible accident. Yeah. But uh, well, yeah, and uh, but yeah, John Landis before all that or around all that time was directing American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. Stars David Naughton, Griffin Dunn, uh, some uh, just one of the best werewolf movies ever it just and it also one of the best 80s movies of all time i will say because it just has that early 80s feel to it it's got the vibes it does it has the vibes it and uh and john landis for all his faults does a wonderful job of creating an atmosphere that feels gloomy and and dreadful Mm -hmm. because it is this very it is a horror movie, but it takes place in London in the big city. And I know you this still sounds capture weird, that. Yeah. but that movie feels wet. 
you start, you oh, know, yeah, with the, whole, the way they're yeah, hiking. Yeah, it has a very and, wet you know, feel to it. And, like, even his transformation, like, he, he's just wet. Like, you see... That's, that was how they covered <laughs> up. That was how they did the special effects, right, though. They had to make know? everything look wet it's or it like, was gonna, it wasn't going to look realistic. Right. It's like you kind of... Totally off topic here, but you think of the xenomorphs and Alien. They're yep. like, ah, what do they need? Fucking put KY jelly on them. Right. There if we it go. didn't look wet, it was going to look weird. Right. Like, imagine they, all of these things that you're talking about. A dry alien or yeah. a dry werewolf transformation. Right. right. And But I think that's something that they got right, because... The way he transforms and his body shifting, you think of the way your, you know, the fluids in your body and just even in your your skin layers are, and like you're also in pain and you're probably sweating and it's like you know his that the part I think that hurts me the most is when his legs are like extending like his ankles and oh shit my god yeah I mean like yeah the face and everything everything about that transformation is a fucking ten out of ten. But the feet thing always, I don't know, it always hurt me. Yeah, I think the the snout scene, like the, the part of the transformation where we see the yeah. snout elongate. Oh, yeah. Ugh, ugh. Yeah, that jaw stretching shit. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Exactly. But it is, it is, it will probably go down. I think a lot of people will sit here and can honestly say it's one of the, it is probably the greatest transformation scene in all of werewolf cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like we went, because you think about it with when we were talking about the Wolfman earlier, we go from this scene where you just see like, it fades, you know, like that that shitty kind of fading onto mm-hmm. the skin where you can tell they just like piece oh, yeah, two they shots did the, together. Yeah, the the two shots together and it just yeah. looked like someone put cotton fluff on him. And right, exactly. Yeah, he still got like the flannel shirt on or whatever, and like you know he's the wolf man. He's not this you know super deformed beast like we get with later work. No, they just glued hair to Lon Chaney Jr. and said he's a wolf. <laughs> wow. Meanwhile, fast forward to 1981 in American Werewolf in London, and John uh-huh. Landis is like stretching David Naughton out like he's a fucking Stretch Armstrong doll. Uh, it's <laughs> fucking, it's nuts. I mean, that's a way to put it. Yeah, and but the other, the rest of the movie though, it's like there's so much more than just the werewolf aspect to it too. I know we're talking about werewolf movies, but I think one reason that it stands out and will be remembered as one of the best werewolf movies is because of the 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 other parts that make it such a well-rounded story the friendship between david naughton and griffin dunn's characters throughout the whole movie yeah how even after he you know the his best friend is killed Mm -hmm. he still sees him he still lives on in his subconscious um the relationship that he forms cemetery it is it is it is very pet cemetery It's, it's like you can almost see um you can almost see the inspiration from Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. w- what they got with Pascal, you yeah. know, what we see with Griffin Dunn's character. Right, because he's kind of like a good ghost, but a little guilty, you know, vibes. Right. He's almost the little devil on the shoulder. He's like, he's yeah. not the angel on the so- shoulder. He's yeah, not the devil yeah. on the shoulder. He's kind of the, he's just kind of the, the guy who's just like, let's fuck around and find out. Right. <laughs> and then you get these great deaths and these these amazing prosthetics. And I think one of my favorite scenes is when they are in the, the porn theater and he's seeing oh, all yeah. the ghosts of all the people that he's killed as a werewolf. And he's like yes. trying to. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's like coming Holy to shit, terms. I forgot about that. Oh my God. It's one of, it's so hands down it. one of my favorites. And then when yeah. he, he transforms in the theater oh, he transforms, and, and then it leads to this amazing scene where he's just, yeah, he's just being chased through the city. It's like, it's, that's how you, you know, for some reason back in the eighties, they got big budget movies, right? Cause mm-hmm. like for the time that was a big budget yeah. movie. It was a lot of money to put into a fucking horror movie, especially, right. but it was John Landis. They were going to let him do whatever he wanted. Yeah, exactly. And, and he takes, and he just creates this beautiful piece of fiction. Uh, kind of like what we were talking about with dog soldiers takes mm-hmm. the folklore 
and the legend that we're already familiar with, with werewolves and the wolf man and things like that, just spins it on its ear, you know, mm-hmm. and American Werewolf in London was probably the re- the big one, like around, the, you know, Howling came out same yeah. year. Those two really helped revive werewolves in film, like, because you think about it, there's not a lot between the 30s, or the 40s when Wolfman came out, mm-hmm. and the 80s when American Werewolf in London came out, there's a, not a ton of notable stuff. Hammer, of course, did some some beautiful work yeah. with, you know, Peter Cushing involved, mm-hmm. In, in Christopher Lee, but it was just, it, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's like those, those kind of, it's kind of had a, it's like a lull, you know, and right. I feel like there was a bit of a lull, nothing in the kinda, mainstream hammer was very right. specific. Yeah. You know, there was a small group, you know, we, we've, we, a lot of people have found a love and appreciation for them here recently, but mm-hmm. back in the day, hammer was a very niche kind of thing. Yeah. So there wasn't any, like American werewolf in London. When I say it kind of revived it, I mean, mostly for the mainstream mm-hmm. and we started getting just all these werewolf movies. And we talked about it in our, one of our first episodes with the slasher craft. Yeah, horror movies in the '80s took on a new life because yeah. of all of these things that were happening. Absolutely, I think that's perfect. And I was kind of thinking, you know, you're talking about like a bit of a lull with the werewolves, and yeah. I'm thinking, aren't we kind of in another one of those? Like, I feel yeah, like I, don't, since, I couldn't tell you last time we've had a good werewolf movie. Well, I mean, there's been decent ones. You know, early 2000s we got some kind of fun little. It was. It, it was right alongside the nightclub vampire aesthetic. You had uh, sexy but vicious werewolves. So you like you had Cursed came out. I, I fucking love Cursed. And and for those of you who don't know, 2005, I want to say Wes Craven mm-hmm. stars Christina Ricci, Jesse Eisenberg, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, Joshua Elizabeth Jackson. has a moment in that, I think she? Shannon Elizabeth, I think you're she right. She gets like ripped in half. Yeah, Maya. But- Maya, the singer, yeah, yeah. and uh, but yeah, Joshua Jackson is in it as well. Okay, but let's just talk about that sexy cast. But then you add in werewolves, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's and it's a whole. The fun angle that this one takes is it's more of a mystery who is the werewolf. You yeah. know, it's like it's like you it's know like a clue, right? With and werewolves. you know, it, and it's just got the most for it being two thousand, like the mid two thousands. It it is. Is it 2005? It's like I'm like I, I say that s- cast, wanna, and it's no, like so. I'm like that sounds almost too late for that cast because we have, like I said, Christina Ricci, Joshua Jackson, Judy Greer's in it. It's a very it's almost it's more of a 90s cast, but yeah, it's like it's funny to me to to sit here and think um, like just that that cast just it's bizarre to me. It is bizarre. Um, but you know, there's, you're fact checking me, right? I was, yeah. I I started to type in uh, the curse, and I was getting other shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, but it, yeah, it's one of those strange. Two thousand four, you were two thousand four, but still, like that seems really late for that cast. But it is, it it's a terrific cast. It's a terrific and movie. It's a fun movie. It is a fun movie. Um, Bowling for Soup has a fun cameo where they, they contribute do. to the soundtrack. See, mid. Early to mid two thousands were the shit for that because Idle yeah. Hands you had Offspring right you know like yeah. I want that shit give me that shit again yeah uh, but Wes Craven does curse so yeah. the legendary Wes Craven he tackled vampires in Brooklyn and now he's tackling werewolves mm-hmm. in the year two thousand four it's it's uh it's one of my favorites because it is one of the more fun werewolf movies that's out there it does have mm-hmm. a little bit of a mystery to yeah. it uh, but it has that sexy um, mid two thousands 
uh, feel to it. Because right. think about it, this is Wes Craven between Scream Three and Scream Four. Right. And at that point, he was just fucking wiling. And Cursed doesn't have <laughs> he was. He was. He was like he's like I'm gonna do fucking Cursed. I'm gonna do my soul to take. Like he like the movies he did Dude, around my that soul time. to take. Red is Eye. Awesome. I will fight you for it. I love my soul to take and Red Eye. Like Wes Craven. Red Eye is amazing. From, between Scream Three and Scream Four, he was just like I'm fucking untouchable. What are you gonna do? Right. Right. Hundred percent. So, I, so yeah, cursed know, was was a lot of fun. But it's it's still it's still sexy vampires and or I'm sorry, sexy werewolves. Right. But you also go into also coming from the two thousands, you have the Underworld series, which we talked about the vampires. But we gotta talk about them with werewolves because we they do werewolves with, pretty fucking badass. I mean, you know, that's the whole thing. There's fucking movies about their war. So The Vampires and the Lichens. The vampires and lichens. The war has waged on. <laughs> Every beginning and end of the underworld movies is all it always gives her. us the backstory it. of like and vampires and lichens have fought for centuries no shit <laughs> celine can we move on i i know that story tell me what's going on in exactly, this film exactly i fucking love those movies but i love that's one of my favorite werewolves because they are these kind of uh, they they shift a little bit away from the wolf look, like the typical look, yeah. and they kind of give us something beastly. I love how fast they transform. They can do it at will. They don't just need a full moon, which, you know, we've had other werewolf movies that start to stray from yeah. the, just the full moon trope. But they're just such a cool werewolf, but they are also sexy. Like, let's right. be real. Well, in, in the first movie of Michael Sheen, one of my favorite oh, actors. God. Michael playing. Sheen, amazing. My, yeah, Michael Sheen is tremendous. Um, and I, I, I just love the fact that he was Lucian and, right. uh, of course, because of personal reasons, wasn't in the second movie, Yeah, don't and, blame but, him. but thankfully, you know, he comes back for that third movie, that prequel, yeah. which to me, I'll, I'll stand by this. I think Rise, Rise of, the of the Lichens is the is, best in the series. Do not sleep on that. No. Like, I love that it gives us a werewolf focused movie in the Underworld series right, because we it's get to see... werewolves and vampires. Right. Like, I get it's mainly following Celine. And I know it obviously gives like an origin kind of leading up, even though we know her her backstory. Yeah. And I think that's something that people kind of maybe just shit on because you start Underworld and then you go into a prequel. And with any prequel, you already know what's going to happen. True. And I think some people just can't enjoy watching what happens before shit. But and I think they just wanted Celine, you know. I, I think ultimately that's what did it in it is it was Underworld without Kate Beckinsale and therefore it didn't feel like Underworld. But to me, like I said, I'm a huge Michael Sheen fan. I think he did tremendous. He was at the height right. of his career because mm-hmm. when that came out, he had just done Frost Nixon, mm-hmm. which had gotten him so much attention and actually got him in discussions for awards. Yet here he comes back to an original role of his that really helped him break into the mainstream. In, yeah. in when he went back to do Rise of the Lycans. Mm-hmm. And it was it was great because we almost got to, you know, I think as long as Kate Beckinsale and Len Weissman are involved in the future installments, you know, I don't think we'll see Michael Sheen right. again. So I think it was nice to get that little bow on Michael Sheen's role as Lucian mm-hmm. and see more of the werewolf-centric storylines that we got in that movie. And yeah. one thing I also love, too, is uh, Kevin Graveau, who... Um, plays one of the more integral werewolves actually did a lot of the graphic novel work on some of the underworld novels. So he got to play a werewolf, a lichen in the film, but he's also very instrumental behind the scenes and creating the the folklore and and adding on to the story and enhancing it through these graphic novels. 
you know, graphic novels, I think that's something I, I love that you get the chance to have people build on a world that's already been created. And right. sometimes some of those can be even better than the movies. Sometimes, some of them can, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you have the right storyteller behind it, uh, it really can in, help, like I said, enhance everything. And that's what Kevin Graveau has done, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is he's done a, a, just a, a, a terrific job with those novels and helping continue the legacy of the Underworld series. And, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get another Underworld movie. You know, uh, right. Kate Beckinsale, Michael Sheen's daughter, is getting to an age where maybe she could play Celine in a right? reboot. I would love that, but, you know, we'll see, I yeah. think. Um, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but um, when you play a vampire, you still age. And yep. Celine can't go on forever in movie form, um, you know, unless they just go into a different storyline. Like, obviously, there's going to be death dealers all over the world. They can always pick up and start anew. Well, and we, we also got the story with uh, her daughter, mm-hmm. um, Eve, Right. Yeah. yeah. Eve. Yeah. yeah. Eve. Pl- and and um, so, I mean, we can continue the story that way, but I also think I've heard rumors of a, just a hard reboot and just right. completely starting the series over again, the franchise. I'd be okay. With right. I, it's one of those series where I feel like we've seen enough mm-hmm. Celine, we've seen enough Kate Beckinsale and I think we can kind of move on and I think yeah. we can, I think a, a reboot wouldn't be the worst thing for the underworld series. Cause I'd like to see, Maybe even something more grounded where we mm-hmm. get some, you know, different filmmakers interpretation of what the lichens and the death dealers and the vampires and everything and the elders could could be. I think it would be wonderful to see what somebody else could add to that. So I want to see futuristic vampires then. So if we can have cool leather clad nightclub vampires, I want to put those in like a fucking Blade Runner movie and be like, I mean, vampires live forever. Let's get a future vampire movie. Okay. Uh, vampire Blade Runner. Uh, <laughs> hit us up. Horrorzoidpod right? <laughs> at gmail.com. If you want to buy that, there's our pitch. Yeah, that's our pitch. Uh, can yeah. you imagine like a Celine type, but her jacket's clear like the chicken Blade Runner uh, for the moment. I would fucking love um, that. I feel like the got, soundtrack. Like, on it. Yes, and the soundtrack would feature this really techno version of "In the Air Tonight" by Phil Collins. You know, like a, oh, like a, or the trailer. The trailer definitely would have one of those slow build, like you hear like a, just a piano note, and then all of a sudden it builds, and it's in the air tonight, and then it's like they're fucking vampires in space, yo. <laughs> I mean, why not? Let's yeah. do it. Like, give me a sci-fi vampire movie. I it yeah, let's do it. Did we uh, get? I mean, I know we've had sci-fi-ish vampires. They've tried. But... Wasn't there a Dracula three thousand that took place in space? It was a really shitty Shit, low budget, probably know. like an asylum movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm that's, sure they're out. But there. I'd love to. I'm with you. I'd love to see that done big budget and werewolves in space, futuristic werewolves. Yeah, let's go. Fuck yeah, let's do it. It's got like robot legs. Robot leg werewolves. Okay, yeah, we're, we're getting we're getting way too off topic here. Are, but but, but you, know, you know it sounds like fun as balls. See, this is why you guys hang out with us though. That's right. We're like those crazy friends you hang out with till three in the morning. Uh, we're all sitting on the front porch. Right. We said we were going to go five times already, like three hours ago, but we're still here. Yeah, the uh, the old Midwest goodbye. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, we're from Indiana, so yeah, you know this that's is how, how we, we roll. do it. And, uh, and yeah, we're those, like you said, we're those crazy friends at 3 a.m. We, like, have no money, but we have great ideas for really crazy <laughs> movies. And you're like, you, you go to another party, and you're hanging out with other friends. They're like, yo, my friends talked about this movie with a werewolf with robot legs. And you're like, what? And it's like, yeah. So it's like, it's just like this legend that grows. So yeah, we, yeah. So, uh, but instead of telling That's your friends, be our yeah. uh, new uh, our our other merch drop is gonna be uh, we're techno those noir werewolf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, so we're going to keep talking about more werewolf movies here. Yeah. Um, I think the one we have to talk about next is one of our absolute favorites, and it has spawned a franchise. Yes. Uh, one of the only werewolf franchises I can really think of, uh, Ginger Snaps. Fuck uh, yes. The original film from 2000, mm-hmm. starring Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins, mm-hmm. which became this, it, it's a Canadian film. It spawned a phenomenon, in my opinion, um, in the horror community yeah. of these, these just this 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 movie you didn't expect that nobody saw coming that nobody could have anticipated, and yet it made such a huge impact on all of us. Yes, and especially with the women, it's a very feminist forward movie. Um, whether it is. You know, sitting at the dinner table and the way the mom is talking to the daughters, the way the mom interacts with the the dad, which clearly they don't have the best relationship. You know, you've got these two sisters who do everything together, um, almost have a, I mean, they have a death pact together, basically. Yeah, and that's how the movie starts, by the way. Like, if you haven't seen Ginger Snaps, I highly recommend it because yeah, the first scenes you opening. get, the first scenes you get are literally these two teenage sisters taking pictures of each other in various death poses yes like they've, like they've died yeah murder things. suicide it's like it's a hardcore trigger warning and it's from the mm-hmm. very beginning yes if you have a problem with self unaliving or un- even unaliving of other people because it's all insinuated all it is all insinuated yeah. in just those first few seconds for sure and you know there's there's something very macabre about them they both wear like little bird school um, necklaces. It's kind of like their BFF bracelet. If you were like a weird goth kid, right? They're goth. Murder. They're goth sisters, and they're goth BFFs, which yes. is just it's it's a new spin on that whole high school dynamic of mm-hmm. these these girls who are inseparable. You know, you look back at movies like Jawbreaker. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like these these packs are made between these two teenage girls and these two teen girls are sisters, and they take that a step further and they yeah. have a suicide pact, basically yeah. or a murder suicide pact or a death pact, where if one dies, the other would fall on the sword as well basically exactly and you know there's something so beautiful to their relationship through the movie and the way it it you know kind of changes um as it goes on because one of them unfortunately has an encounter with a werewolf and starts to go through teen girl growing pains right but it's the so the, the werewolf is the reason she's attacked by the werewolf is because she gets her period yes she gets her period so she's and of course werewolves are attracted to blood so it's literally this terrific plot of like you can follow the logic it's one of those Mm -hmm. movies where it's like this is so outlandish and out of this world because it's a werewolf movie Mm -hmm. but it makes sense that if werewolves are attracted to blood women who are on their period would be unfortunately a very big target right it's like yeah you know uh, a shark in water kind of it literally is and And, so yeah she but it has this beautiful imagery to it because she is a teen girl who is starting to go through hormonal changes which you know i mentioned the dinner table scene but it's iconic that she's sitting there rubbing her back and the mom's who always has a cute sweater and a headband on mimi rogers as the mom deserves all the awards (laughs) that was the best role Oh, why is your back hurting, sweetie? Oh, oh, I think she's got period cramps. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, are you fu- – and, like, it's, it's embarrassing so because as a teen, you know, I I obviously relate to this and any other uterus haver out there is going to relate to this. But there's nothing – Uteruses over deuteruses <laughs> you know, for sure. Fuck yeah. But there's, you know, there's been a stigma around it for so long and especially put it into this movie because it's – I remember being a young girl and like wanting to hide my tampons, grabbing them out of my purse. And like, you get that shit in the movie. Like 
she's embarrassed about her period. Yeah, it's as much a uh, a, a, min- a movie about a coming of age movie for girls as mm-hmm. much as it is a werewolf movie. Yeah, and it's funny because it's directed by a man, John Fawcett, but mm-hmm. he uh, had a terrific writing partner, Karen Walton, yeah. who helped him. They both devised this idea of this movie that would serve as an allegory for women going through you know young girls discovering their menstruation and going through puberty mm-hmm. uh as well as a werewolf story so Catherine right. isabel's character is ginger it's i.e the title ginger snaps mm-hmm. and she is attacked by a werewolf her sister bridget played by emily perkins is her only confidant in the world who knows what's going on with yeah. her and together they go through as ginger goes through these physical as well as these emotional changes mm-hmm. sound familiar right and uh, as as they go through this, as Ginger discovers these new things about herself, not only as a woman, but also mm-hmm. as a you know, werewolf. Right. Because she's um, like, I kind of like boys, but also kind of like, I kind of like the way boys taste. Right. I kind of so, want to eat them and kill them. You know, every, every part of her transformation, which is slow through the movie, you don't get yep. a one scene transformation for Ginger. Hers is slow and progressive. Like, she starts to grow a fucking tail. Right. Like, can you imagine waking up with a tiny little tail coming out of your pelvic bone? Like, that's how slow her stuff is. It's, it is. It's very slow, very methodical. Mm-hmm. They take their time with it. Yeah. And But it's one of the few movies, too, where I love it because it's this whole teen story of, I'm going to help cure you. I'm going to help save you. Mm-hmm. Because her sister Bridget tries to devise a cure using wolf's bane. Yep. And it, uh, and ultimately... Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it leads to the climax of the movie, which leads to its sequel, Ginger Snaps Two Unleashed, Unleashed. Mm-hmm. and where um, Bridget continues the journey, and Bridget uh, at the end of the movie becomes a werewolf herself, or is infected to become yeah, a werewolf. Yeah, she. So the the interesting thing you mentioned, the wolfsbane, is it's actually effective. Like they find it a is. whole process. It's very. Um, hard drug looking yeah. when they process yeah. it. Yeah, whereas know, like Ginger Snaps... it in a spoon and putting it in a syringe kind of shit. Exactly. But, you so know... Ginger Snaps 2 takes the narrative from... You go from a movie about menstruation and yeah. puberty to a movie, honestly, about drug abuse. and, and Mental health, drug mental abuse, health, you know, because she goes um, through all of these, these yes. issues. But she's also trying to make the drug, keeping things at bay, right. you know, worried about transforming when and, it ultimately... And she, doesn't have you know prevent it yeah and she finds herself in a mental hospital because Mm -hmm. of course they believe she is crazy and addicted to drugs because Mm -hmm. she they find her you know they see her trying to shoot up and try to get 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 her fix quote unquote and uh you know talking all these things about werewolves and wolf's bane and uh just creates this uh this this uh impression that she's crazy and she finds herself in a mental hospital with other girls who are deemed crazy Mm -hmm. Uh, one of which i want to point out at the recording time that we're recording this episode tatiana maslani who Mm -hmm. many will now know as jennifer walters she hulk attorney at law (laughs) um uh, tatiana maslani plays a ghost who is basically the girl who helps bring bridget out of this mental hospital and uh, in the end twist ends up kidnapping bridget in werewolf form and You'll find out. That's the end of Bridget's story. That's the last thing we know that happens to Bridget because Ginger snaps back. The beginning is a prequel. Yeah. So we that's that's (laughs) how the end that's how the story ends. Yep. And then we go back and literally back in time to Ginger Snaps back the beginning. Mm -hmm. Almost like a colonial day vibe thing. You know, small little town building weird walls. Honestly, um, probably because they're settling on 
ground that they shouldn't settle right. on. You it, get that vibe. You get in the, the Native movie. American folklore aspect of werewolves, yeah. and we go back to the beginning of the legend, mm-hmm. uh, where ostensibly the origin of the werewolves that bit Bridget in the first, or not bit Bridget, but bit Ginger in the first mm-hmm. movie and started this whole thing, date back to this the 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 happenings the occurrences mm-hmm. in the third movie ginger snaps back the beginning yeah so you basically still get two sisters uh you know throwback they still have like the little skull necklace things yeah. um but they're you know same situation one of them has a problem one of them doesn't but they're all running around a old cold fort in winter with cool victorian clothing it is it's it's a beautiful movie yeah you tell the budget was bigger for the third movie and Mm -hmm. i'm happy it was uh but it does it feels it's bizarre but it's a really i still i love this movie i do too it's just i almost wanted more of the teens from the first two right and i and i i respect them for not going not retreading old ground but at the same time you know, yeah, I think we all did want that. But again, right. the, on the bright side, it's it's still Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins, which to me, they are the heart and soul of the Ginger yeah. Snaps franchise. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you could do a movie without either one of them. Right, because even with the second one, um, Catherine Isabel is uh, limited still in, in her it, role. Limited in yeah. the role, but she's still in it. She's still there, yeah. Um, you know, kind of spoilers. I know it's an older movie. Hopefully you guys have seen it by now, but usually werewolves don't make it. So, yeah, yeah, it's... Know. It's kind of a theme with this is that, uh, hey, you're infected with this. Spoiler alert, you're not really going to go far with this. Sorry. No, exactly. Yeah. And ironically, Catherine Isabel came back to play a witch on a also canceled Netflix show called The Order where she falls in love with a werewolf. Yeah. It, the Catherine Isabel is another... She's my you, queen. You, we mentioned her in Scream Queens and Final yeah. Girls. We didn't really talk about her too much, but she is. Uh, I could talk about her all day. We could, and yeah. and you know we we keep talking about doing these heroes of horror episodes, and I think yeah. Catherine Isabel is going to yeah. be deserving of her own episode. Yeah, because she's. Uh, I don't. I don't recall exactly how much we mentioned of her, but she's probably one of my favorite Final Girls. Yeah. She she is one. Yeah, she is, and and she's got so many great roles. Emily mm-hmm. Perkins was a little bit more limited in her career. She didn't go on to do too terribly too much. Right, but when you get to say you played Beverly fucking Marsh and Stephen King's it, exactly. Like, that's it. That's yes, it. You're and cool. that's the other role you would recognize <laughs> her from. Yeah, the 1990 miniseries Stephen King's It, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Yep. Emily Perkins plays the original, the OG Beverly Marsh on yep. screen, and it's she's a awesome. terrific role by her. Um, but yeah, I think uh, a lot of us again will, you know, I think her legacy will forever be Ginger Snaps. Yeah, and kind of with that, you know, we didn't touch too much on the actual werewolf of that movie, but it is another where you have practical effect transformation. It is, and again, you could tell they were on a budget mm-hmm. with, this, especially with that first movie being a low budget Canadian kind of the, indie flick. The camera play that I feel like you can do really well with a creature feature, where you show bits and pieces, and you don't necessarily have to show the whole, um, you know, puppet or person in a suit that you necessarily have to. But it's one of those that I think I like a lot because they kind of. Like she's a redhead and she almost stays like this pale color, mm-hmm. and she even has werewolf breasts, which is like kind of a yes. I mean, get, I think that there was some of that in the Howling, maybe. Yeah. Again, I, I vaguely remember you get some werewolf of the, bobs. Yeah, uh, I think it's in the weird sequels. I vaguely remember a bonfire and werewolves, but um, you know, you get that. But it's again part of that womanly transformation shit that you get with Ginger Snaps. It, yeah, it's. So well done. But, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the really cool practical werewolves. Started to touch on the CG because you get 
a blend of practical and CG in Underworld. There's a lot of kind of close-ups where you can tell they're kind of uh, maybe suits or puppetry thing going on. But, you know, we started to get a lot of CG werewolves. And the reason I said the lull is because I feel like we haven't had a lot of traditional freaky werewolf movies for a while. There's been a lot of big wolves. Like, um, and the quickest and easiest one to say would be, like, in Twilight. Like Twilight, yeah. But you also got them in uh there was a movie called red riding hood that had amanda seafried in it yeah where it takes little red riding hood but makes it a werewolf story yeah it was it came out around the same time as the wolf man with benicio del toro yes and i think it had a very similar feel to it like aesthetically like i said it was just dark and yeah not not aesthetically pleasing it, it, it was yeah. for sure and um i remember it had good music and i kind of liked the idea of taking a classic story and kind of flipping it on its head and not just making it the big bad wolf and actually making it a werewolf it had a weird execution and there was a lot of like you can hear the werewolf talking like it's like projecting thought shit and it was just bizarre yeah it's it's, uh, you know there are some risks that these filmmakers have taken with uh, their portrayals of werewolves Mm -hmm. and other classic creatures that just have not paid off but i kind of respect the the differences again because like what we mentioned in the beginning there are a lot of different folklore stories about what their werewolves look like and i think mm-hmm. the traditional wolf as like kind of deriving a little more on the shapeshifter side right has kind of gone into a lot of those movies right which harkens back to a lot of the old native american culture right exactly um, as well which i appreciate when mm-hmm. i appreciate when films can do that yeah and kind of uh get the uh the different local color out mm-hmm. of it, you know, like I said, here in the States, the, the history of the Native Americans and their connection to wolves and shapeshifters and mm-hmm. all of those. Uh, and then, uh, of course, in England and France, right. these the beasts that were spotted on the countryside that were believed to be man-sized wolves, you mm-hmm. know, normal creatures that we're used to, but they were man-sized, which well, created the legend of werewolves over there. And even there. The, the one that I kind of remember just from my... Um, obsession with these kinds of things and i used to read about it all the time uh the the luguru which is kind of like they almost have like a wolf pelt that they like use to transform it's like am i be getting that wrong i just remember the name Mm -hmm. because it's one of those i think french names um so it's as a basic bitch in indiana who doesn't know any french it was kind of one of those weird words for me that's kind of stuck in my head because of it but even that, like the concept of having like a wolf pelt that is kind of part of you. And they kind of do a little bit of that um, to come back to it. That show on Netflix, The Order, um, that's kind of how the werewolves are in the show is like the pelt picks them and they become a werewolf. It, yeah, I had not seen The Order, but uh, I remember from what you had told me, it's mm-hmm. it, it yeah, it, it has some pretty kick-ass scenes, especially yeah. involving the wolves. Yeah, it um, does. One thing you mentioned the uh, the the French word that I won't even try to pronounce either. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, over in uh, France, one of my favorite legends is the Beast of Gevaldon, uh-huh. which was a uh, again very old. I want to say this is early 1800s, maybe maybe uh-huh. even before that. And it was a beast French countryside. They were finding dead bodies, uh-huh. and it was uh, they attributed it to a uh, it was looked like wolf attacks, but it uh-huh. looked like it was too big to be just a normal wolf so it was like again all the legends kind of yeah and it was uh was said to what inspired the it was it is what is said to have inspired 
um, the original Wolfman oh, nice. uh, legends that that turned into what ultimately became those the Universal Classic movie monster. I like that. So yeah, that's kind yeah. of where the origins of the story are from. Um, but yeah, as we're uh, as we've talked about a lot of movies here, I think we're going to touch upon a few more that have kind of impacted us. And mm-hmm. not all of these are going to be necessarily straight up just horror movies. Some of these are just the ones that have inspired us. Like uh, I know before we went on and started recording, we were talking about. Uh, Goosebumps episode, yeah. one of my favorites, little mini movie called The Werewolf of Fever Swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, terrific mm-hmm. little novel. And of course, a uh, an even better, in my opinion, uh, just one of the best pieces of werewolf fiction that's out there. Uh, the way in the, in the little Goosebumps mini movie thing, the way it's done is it's shot so gloomy and so mm-hmm. nasty. And it's a so werewolf of fever swamp. So yeah. it's like it gets the swamp aesthetic right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have this really cool story between this kid who goes to live with his i think it's his grandfather in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and he meets a kid this little dirty white kid in the middle of nowhere at the the swamp and uh, he starts to suspect that this dirty white kid isn't just any ordinary dirty white kid he is uh he's a werewolf little dirty swamp boy little dirty swamp <laughs> werewolf rat boy and uh it's and it's just so well done and it's yeah. just this little cute mystery um rl stein has this great job, great way of balancing um, this this child, these childlike stories of like, oh, I think my best friend's a werewolf, but right. also adding genuine kind of scary shit to it. Yeah, I mean, I think um, all of us had a lot, our, you know, our Goosebumps episodes we were scared of. I actually just recently saw uh, something of his where he was talking about how people call him the intro, like the teen's introduction to Stephen King. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and that, um, he hadn't met him for years until I think recently, and it's just so bizarre to me because I feel like those are two people who would have crossed paths at some point, but yeah. at, at the same time you're like, but would they? Because like, one of them writes a you know interdimensional clown thing that feeds off of fear among other fucked up things in that novel (laughs) yeah Uh, and then rl stein's like what if this mask fused to this girl's face like you know i'm gonna do monster blood it's hamsters y'all yeah right fucking slappy say cheese and die say cheese and die piano lessons can be murder (laughs) yeah but i mean you know, I was pretty young when those started to come out, yeah. and I would eat that shit oh, they up. Were so, like, they were so I much wanted fun. to read every Goosebumps book at the library, watch every episode. We'll probably end up doing a whole episode devoted to go- I mean, go- devoted know, to Goosebumps. Yeah, Goosebumps, R.L. Stein. You know, obviously, we recently had Fear Street. Fear Street, yeah, um, putting R.L. Stein I mean, back in the discussion. Of he just horror. knows how to do it. He just knows how to do it. He knows, in a yeah, fun way. He knows how to scare the young folks. He does. Um. Yeah, so some other things that inspired me, like uh, I mentioned again before we came on the air, there's an old TV show, and I think it was Canadian too. Canadians are obsessed with werewolves, and I dig <laughs> it. Um, if you're listening, you're from Canada, and you like werewolves, it, uh, you found the right show. Um, but yeah, it was called Big Wolf on Campus, mm-hmm. and it had uh, it was that perfect early 2000s. It was like, for kids, you want to dip your toe into horror movies and horror TV shows, this is a great way to do it because it's this fun little cheeky comedy. 
um, about a kid who is a werewolf, but he has to balance being a werewolf while also going to high school. What? It's very Teen Wolf vibe, right? It, it is. Yeah, it is. And uh, we'll get to Teen Wolf here in a sec. I mean, you know, he's another yeah. uh, hair patch, but leave the clothes on. Kind of iconic Oh my God, Wolfman yeah. Vibe. Fuck it. We're just going to move on to Teen Wolf because Teen Wolf <laughs> shaped me as a kid. It was one of my... Yeah. That's another introduction fantastic. into werewolf and horror movies, even though it's not horror movie. It's still obviously. Hey, we're all things horror '80s, '90s, and today. Exactly. Yeah, that is one of my favorite '80s movies. I mean, first off, Michael J. Fox is one of my favorite actors of all time. Yeah. Secondly, I mean, he plays. It's Michael J. Fox playing a fucking basketball playing werewolf. werewolf. It's the best. It's like the best plot ever. Like, how can you not love Teen Wolf? That's a Mad Libs. Uh, And it's perfect. It really is. It is like, and it's like, oh my god, like the. I'll never forget. I don't know why this quote stands out in my mind. There's the scene when he becomes a werewolf and he becomes really good at basketball and mm-hmm. he attracts the attention of the popular girl in school. But her boyfriend is pissed off at her. And this is just one of those random fucking lines that sticks out to me where he like the old boyfriend goes up to her while, you know, Scott, Michael J. Fox's character is away and he looks at the girl and he's like, what's going to happen when you guys get older? Are you going to have puppies? And I'm just like... <laughs> It was just one of those fucking stupid fucking lines that I don't know why I remember. It's so I mean so fucking. And when you think about it, it's so fucking disgusting. It's, too. That's pretty weird. It's like if you ever remember in the early days of the internet, if you used to be a fucking internet pirate like me, where you download <laughs> illegally download all your shit, there was always the ad that says, "Look at this dog human hybrid." You won't believe it, oh, and it's yeah. that iconic sculpture. Yeah. That the artist did where it's literally a human dog it's like hybrid. A human dog, oh, like it's weird so fucked up. Tone. Yeah. But it's like that's what like I yeah, that's my my it's rabbit hole of thoughts and shit. Yeah, but yeah, Teen Wolf, te- you know, going back to the original point here, Teen Wolf was <laughs> um it was so funny. It was Michael J. Fox. It was uh you know, and of course it inspired the T V show Teen Wolf mm-hmm. on MTV. Um, really deviated from the source material, but it is what it is. And then we also got a sequel. I was gonna say, aren't there like a couple of series now? Well, there's, I feel there's like there was a more recent Teen Wolf that did pretty well. Yeah, um, no, no, it, it deviated. I, okay. though, is all I'm saying. Oh, yeah, okay, it's like I it was you. good. You know, it did well, but it deviated from the source material. Okay, and then we have okay. the sequel with Jason Bateman that also took place in the '80s as well. So Michael mm. J. Fox, Jason Bateman, both played. You know. The, in the both the Teen Wolf movies and it was just is yeah just so well done like yeah. it, it, to me it's Teen Wolf is a staple of the 80s like we all have our favorite 80s movies and to me like it just feels like what if John Hughes made an, a, a werewolf movie right no, <laughs> I, I love it so much it's I mean it's just one of those fun movies I feel like there's yeah. not as many I can't think of a lot of fun like werewolf stuff as much as i can other things i think well you mentioned fun werewolves and my mind immediately goes to what we do in the shadows oh yeah which you know yeah. the both the show and the movie tackle mm-hmm. werewolves in just the most hilarious, hilarious way possible way. because you know as we were talking about you know earlier with the different uh cultural interpretations of werewolves i think one of my favorite lines is in the show whenever he goes, they're talking about them being Indian. Right, and he yeah. Goes, I Nadja, don't Nadja, think you yeah. mean that kind of Indian. Yeah, Nadja says, are you all Indian? Yeah. And yeah, he says, he says, uh, he's like, well, I'm from, I'm my father's from India, but I don't think you mean that kind of Indian. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's the Native American. He's like, but Mark here is Native American. Yeah, and he's like, but I'm not <laughs> werewolf. It's not, a, 
it's not a it's not an ethnic thing i'm not not a werewolf because i'm native american right and i love that they're able to touch because you look at the different like he's like here's my white guy his name's chad or whatever the fuck he says yeah i'm caucasian yeah i'm caucasian (laughs) but i love that the show has this diversity with the vampires with the werewolves with the other creatures in the show it's a funny little cheeky show but at the same time it does promote diversity hell is the uh, as as the at the recording of this episode you know we're seeing them tackle issues now of uh sexuality and yeah. being you know polyamorous and right. gay right. and the, it just yeah i was gonna just, say the episode we just watched where they're trying to get colin robinson into school if you're not caught up that's all i'm gonna say yeah but you know they do they have they sit down and they're well what if it's this couple and this couple what if it's right. a single parent what if it's a gay parent what if it's a polyamorous what if it's right. you know and i think you know the fact that they can interweave that with the comedy is genius because nothing's ever offensive it's just real no and and i love it because one thing that horror has always done a great job of is explaining social issues mm-hmm. through these metaphors and i think with with stories like what we've talked about with what we do in the shadows they're able to take these horror tropes and tell these beautiful stories with them and tackle social issues like race, like sexuality, mm-hmm. and everything in between. And again, like in my opinion, that's when horror has always been at its best, yeah. is when it can tackle those serious issues and give us a metaphor that almost makes it like this makes it this pill that's easier to swallow for, you know, those those in middle middle America who don't think about these things on a daily basis. Right. Um, but it, it, it does that and werewolf movies are great it's a great example of that mm-hmm. because you have this idea of concealing one's true self and hiding oneself from the world and I think that's something that a lot of us can relate to to one extent or another yeah I feel like there's a lot of things that, that can touch upon whether it's um, becoming a woman like you get with ginger snaps right um, you know some of the other movies they make it a little bit more sexual Um I was sitting here trying to think of if there were any like queer horror werewolf movies, and I'm sure that there probably are, but you know, it does feel a little queer. Yeah. I mean, in, in the, in the, uh, in the grand scheme of it, when you think about just like the principles behind it, again, like I said, hiding oneself, mm-hmm. concealing a big part of who you are and you know how even, even to an extent there's the, you only feel safe trusting that information mm-hmm. to certain key people. There's a lot right. of I th- I think you, you can, can see the similarities there. In safe places, <laughs> right? It's I think that that ex- that allegory, that analogy, is always there. In my opinion, with a lot of these. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I like that a lot. And now I just need to try to find gay werewolf movies because I think I want to see those. Yeah. And I mean, and there's some movies on that we want to kind of just mm-hmm. mention rapid fire here real quick that uh, that either one of us hasn't seen or neither of us have seen that are yeah. really on our watch list. But we just want to shout them out because they've been mentioned to us by so many people. They've been talked about by so many people that we feel like they do deserve some attention and some love. Yeah. Um, what do you have in mind? Uh, so, I mean, Stephen King, Silver Bullet. I have not seen that yeah, movie. Yeah, okay. Uh, you you have seen that movie. You enjoyed that one. Yeah, so you get Corey Haim, and you get wild uh, Gary Busey, uh, which I feel like... You had me at Gary Busey. Now I just want to say his Busey. Um, <laughs> but he plays Uncle Red, who's like the kind of weird relative that they don't quite want around because he's like the cool, fun uncle. Um, and then you have 
uh, kids being uh, killed by a werewolf. There's actually a really disturbing scene in his short novel about them just finding like a bloody kite in the park and like parts of a body. Yeah. Um, and you know, they have to make a silver bullet so they can try to kill this werewolf that's running around town, killing kids and trying to find out who the werewolf is. It's a weird movie. Um, it's 1985. It's bizarre, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, there's that. And there's a couple we haven't seen werewolves within, which I've told mm-hmm. is more of a uh, horror comedy with werewolves, which mm-hmm. I'm always in favor of. Uh, has some terrific actors in it, um, but got some amazing reviews out of the gate. Yeah. Um, so that was one I definitely recommend checking out. One of my favorite actors, Sam Richardson, who has been uh, in a lot of different things. He's popped up. If you see him, you'll know him. He's he's that he's one of those actors who's that guy from that thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he finally gets a leading role in Werewolves Within. And then the other one is... Jim Cummings' pet project, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which everybody. A lot of people talked about. Oh my gosh. One. Overwhelmingly positive reviews. Um, again, we have not seen that. So uh, it's on our watch list. If you yeah. see it before us, please let us know how it is if you've already seen it. Mm-hmm. Again, horrorzoidpod at gmail.com, horrorzoidpod on TikTok. Hit us up and I'll, don't forget horrorzoid.com. I'll plug the website. You know, we're paying plug for it. it. All, Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we've, we've talked about a lot of werewolf movies. I think we've touched upon a lot of our favorites. Um, we want to hear from you, though, what you like, mm-hmm. what you thought were some of the best ones, and ones we should uh, should talk about that maybe we completely glossed over. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for joining us for another great episode, yeah. and we look forward to talking with you next week. Um, wait till you see what we got in store for you next week. Super stoked. Yep. Uh, and on that note... Remember... We're not swearwolves. We're werewolves. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every weekend. Follow us on TikTok at HorrorzoidPod and send emails to HorrorzoidPod at gmail.com with your thoughts, questions, and stories for us to read on a future episode. To all our Zoids out there, stay scary. Stay scary.